You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. Last week, we kicked off this Own It series. Pastor Glynn shared a brilliant message called Own It, The Burden. Own The Burden. And it was really about how we can own spiritually the burden or the vision of our church. And Michelle was telling us about the prayer meeting and other ways that you can stand with us in God and play your part in, in committing to God the things that we can't control because we know God is at work and what you can see right in front of your face is not always the end of what's going on. That message last week was really about what's really going on here. Today, I wanna speak to you a message called Own It Home. Own It Home and it's about the church. Next week is our vision party where we're gonna take our special vision offering and you can see all the information about that in the brochure. Pastor Glynn told us last week, if you missed that message, make sure you go back and watch it. We've got our guest speaker, part of really the family of Audacious Church. Pastor Neil Smith is gonna be with us in both services here in Central Manchester next week. And we're gonna take our vision offering. The week after, we're doing the final part of the Own It series. And that message is called Own It Eternity. So own it, the burden, what's really going on here. Own it, eternity, what's really at stake here. And today's message is own it, home. What am I really part of? And I wanna speak to every single person. Don't switch off in this next uh, few moments that we have together. If you've been here a long time, you might think, oh yeah, you know, kind of heard this kind of thing before. I believe the Holy Spirit is gonna speak to you in a challenging new way as to how you can own the vision in your life. And if you're here for the first time or maybe just a few weeks and you're kind of figuring out, I'm not really sure if this is gonna be my spiritual home, well, you listen up too because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Is that good? Yeah. All right, well, we're gonna start with a key scripture. There's actually three key scriptures as part of this message, but this is the first one. It says in Genesis 28, verse 16 and 17, this is kind of like a little snippet of a story that some of you may know about Jacob. Jacob's had a dream and it says this, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none other, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate or the gateway or the opening of heaven. I don't know about you, but I love sleep. Just by a little bit of research, by, by holding up fingers, how many is the optimal number of snoozes on your alarm clock? Okay. Anyone like Pastor Soph, just go for a zero. Your alarm goes off and you are up and out. Okay. Anyone, anyone just a single snooze? Double snooze? Triple snooze? Student? Don't bother with an alarm clock. <laughs> Haven't had an alarm clock since the kids were born. <laughs> I feel your pain, Daz. I feel your pain. All right. Um, I'm, I'm a bit 
weird in that I don't like getting up if it's not a multiple of five. Like if it's three minutes past seven, got to wait till five minutes past seven. Otherwise the world just won't be right. It'll be like, I won't be able to walk straight. I don't, I don't know, it's just kind of like, it's got to be a multiple of five. And if it's just one minute past that multiple of five, you've got four whole minutes still in bed for the sake of the universe. Also, there's different stages of being awake, right? Varying degrees of being awake. Number one, just awake. This means when your eyes are not open, but you're cognitively aware that you need to get up. Have you ever had a cup, one of them brilliant conversations with someone and they are talking to you about their dream, but you are not in their dream because you're in the real world? Or have you ever done that where you're half awake, just awake, you start to speak to someone about what you're dreaming and then you have that awful moment you realise, oh, that was my dream. <laughs> it's so confusing and so awesome. If some, you're trying to wake someone up, you're like, good morning, Parker, welcome. You, you gotta go. wake up, mate, you've got to go to college. Yeah, but what about the flying mice? I think you're dreaming, mate. <laughs> I hope you're dreaming, mate. There you go. <laughs> so just awake, barely awake. This is where the eyes are open, but no one's home. Come on, nudge your husband. Nudge your wife, Joel. <laughs> there you go. Uh, okay, espresso awake. Anyone ever done a, an espresso and just been like, boom, I'm here, I'm alive. When I did my A-levels, I had many, many nights of Pro Plus and Red Bull while I was doing my... A-levels in Jesus' name. You're kind of awake, but it's, it's because of a substance of some kind that's helping you, normally caffeine. What about jet lag awake? Which is like, I don't even know what time it is, what day it is, should I be awake, should I be asleep? Okay, then we've got awake, which is business as usual. And then what we've got in this verse about Jacob is what I call fully awake. Jacob was fully awake to what he just experienced. And that's significant because it's easy for us in church to drift off to sleep, metaphorically, to what God is doing. We get stuck in the rut or we go through the motions because church, rightly so, is a weekly rhythm. If you're a person of faith, I would encourage you, if not challenge you, to make sure that going to church is a weekly rhythm. But know that, that sort of weekly rhythm, like a train, like, a, like the sound of a repeating something, actually can cause you, if you're not careful, to drift off to sleep. Listen to this verse in Romans chapter 13. It says, make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-by-day obligations that you lose track of time and doze off, oblivious to God. The night is about over, dawn is about to break, so be up and awake to what God is doing. This idea that it's possible to be like the um, barely awake, eyes are open but no one's home, every time we come to church, we kind of know what to do at the right time, what to say. And this annual Own It series is your annual alarm clock. The annoying beep, 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 in the year where, you, where God shakes you up a bit, wakes you up to the fact that He is on the move, the church is growing, people are being transformed, you are being transformed. We wake up. And that's kind of what this series is about. The problem with sleep is that you don't realise you're asleep when you're asleep. 
No one is lying in bed going, this is a great sleep. Gosh, I wonder how many hours I've got left. No, you don't know it was a great sleep till something or someone does, right, wakes you up. And so that's what this message is. It's a wake-up call for us as the church. It's not a criticism or anything like that. It's just, you know, you set an alarm clock, not because, you know, it's bad to sleep, but, but because there's something to do. There's something to get up for and, and live for. And, you know, you know what I'm saying? Two more scriptures. Psalm 84, verse one and two. In the NIV, it puts it this way. How lovely is your dwelling place. But then in the message, it's worded slightly differently, this paraphrase that Eugene Peterson penned years ago. It says, instead of how lovely is your dwelling place, it says, what a beautiful home. And when we as a team read that paraphrase, it sparked something in us of a desire or it put words, if you like, to what we already knew in our hearts is that church is supposed to be home for the people. It's supposed to be home. David says in this Psalm, what a beautiful home. God of the angel armies have always longed to live in a place like this, always dreamed of a room in your house. And then Psalm 92 sort of complements that where it says the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. It's time to wake up. The Psalmist here is not describing um, the house of God as a noble cause, just a noble cause, not a charitable organisation, but it's actually describing what Jacob described when he woke up and said, oh, wow, this is not just four walls and a load of people. This is not just a good cause that, that society can pat us on the back. This is the house of God. It's the house of God. But here's the next step on from that, that sort of understanding or revelation, not just the house of God, but the home of me. It's the home of you. And so we have really taught this next 10 minutes worth of message to all of you as a church whenever you joined our church. If you came to our church and you did our course called Extraordinary Home, you will have already been taught this, but I felt challenged as so did we as leaders that we need an alarm clock. We need a wake up call because life happens and we drift off to sleep about stuff that we know, as Pastor Glynn said earlier this year, is quite simple, but not necessarily easy. There's a difference between those two things. Simple and easy are not the same thing. If you want to lose weight, don't eat donuts. Simple. Going past Greg's. <laughs> not easy. <laughs> when you've got a choice on the menu of a salad or a pie. <laughs> Simple choice, eat the salad, Reedy but it's not easy. And so we're saying here something that is quite simple. So if you're waiting for the bomb drop moment where I say something that you go, wow, I've never thought of that before. You may be disappointed, but I've got to tell you, if we get this simple understanding and own it, okay, 
not just understanding it, but taking responsibility for it and its application in our lives, you will say, I found where I belong. I belong to the house of the Lord. So there's three ingredients that make, uh, well, several ingredients that make a house feel like a home, your home where you live or the home where you grew up. There'll be certain smells and sounds and sights and, and, and you know, kind of familiar things that make a house feel like a home. The home where I grew up in, just coming up on screen, I think it's gonna be a picture of my older brother's Fiesta XR2. Now, it doesn't look much there, but I tell you what, it was his first car. Anyway, I'm not showing you the car, I'm showing you the house behind it. That is 41 Bosco Road, and that is the house where I grew up in. And uh, if you go to the next, if you wanna see what we look like, Can you spot me? I'm the little girl on the left. No, I'm joking. I'm just down here in this bottom corner. Look at that, trying to look like Kurt Cobain, but looking more like someone else. I don't know. Too many jokes, I'm not gonna spiral through them. Okay, so there we are, that's us in our home. I think there might be another one actually. There you go, look at that. That's me and my brothers and our cousin Vicky. And that's me there with some kind of weird necklace on and also moobs as a child. <laughs> so it's been a problem. That's why I wear a lot of jackets, you know what I'm saying? And look at that turtleneck. That's Richard there in the top. That is your children's pastor there, Keith Jeffrey Reed with them dungarees on. How cool is that? Look at him. He looks like Asher, doesn't he? His son. And so, okay, you can get rid of it now because you'll all just stare at that and mock me. Um, my parents sold our family home, how dare they, when we'd all got grown up and got married and moved out. And so they bought a new home, a, 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 a nicer one, a, a bungalow with room just for a couple of people to visit and then go home. And um, when we first walked into their house, um, it, was, it wasn't the house we grew up in, it wasn't my home. But there's something about the people um, being in that space that can turn any environment into a home. And so we were in this house, this new bungalow, kind of like, how could you sell our family home? But literally within a few minutes of like having a drink, hanging out, talking, eating food together, we were laughing, we were telling stories. It was like home is not the walls, home is the people. If you've ever been... Come on, all you caravanners. Anyone go in a caravan? Like there's something about like even a caravan, like as small and as claustrophobic as they may feel, you get the right people in the caravan. It's like, this is our home for five days or three if the weather doesn't improve, in Jesus' name. And so what we're trying to explain or, or help you to see here is that a key ingredient in a place feeling like home and in the context of this message, we're talking about the church, a key ingredient is what we call life-giving relationships. If you can take ownership and commit to cultivating, maintaining, developing life-giving relationships in the church, then you will feel this is my home. Your life can change, things can change, the, the, the style can change, the kind of whether we sing your favourite worship song or not can change. But if you come into church and you're like, here's my people, 
here's my friends, this is my tribe, then you will be able to say, this is my home. And I want you to hear this through the, the lens of own it. Because the church, we can try our best to, to facilitate life-giving relationships. We can create atmospheres and environments and programs and, and plans so that you can create or develop these relationships, but we can't do it for you. We can't say, all right, Lisa, Dad's ready, steady, be friends, go. It doesn't work like that because as Pastor Glynn always says about our small groups, they're either awkward or awesome. And you don't really get to awesome without at least a little bit of awkward in the first place. And that would be true of all of our relationships is that they can be a bit awkward to start with. But if you just have it inside you to be able to say, you know what, this is my house, this is my home, this is where I belong. So I'm gonna push through the awkwardness until I get through to awesome so that I've got some relationships in the house of God. That's the first ingredient. Owning home looks like cultivating life-giving relationships. How do we own this thing, Pastor Glenn, you might have been thinking last week? How do we, what do we actually do? Well, what you do is owning home looks like cultivating life-giving relationships. The second ingredient, because there's three that we're focusing on, is responsibility. Responsibility. Everybody here who owns their own home understands that with ownership comes responsibility. You cannot and should not invite your mates for dinner and then ask them to cook. Well, maybe, depends how close you are. You know what I'm saying? As a general rule. Okay, there's a few people going, yeah. You come to my house, we're having a takeaway. You know what I'm saying? Someone else is cooking. Okay, let's put it this way. If your boiler breaks at home, what you are not going to do is go out in your pajamas and knock on next door and say, oh, our boiler's broke. Because they'll go, uh-huh. Well, I was just wondering if you could do something about that. Now, unless you live next door to your landlord, nine times out of 10, they're gonna go, I go by. And they're gonna shut the door. Because everybody has an understanding that with ownership comes responsibility. Home equals responsibility. To feel at home in the church, there comes a moment and it doesn't have to be straight away and for different people at different times, it might come, you know, depending on kind of your journey to church, not physically, but like your, your spiritual journey, your life journey that brought you to Audacious Church. It might come at different times and it doesn't look the same for everybody. Sarah was lining up all these people who've all got completely different lives and serve in different ways and at different times, but there comes a moment where you say, my house equals my responsibility. If you can understand that, then we're just really passionately believing that you can find a home in our church and, and stay in that feeling of Psalm 92, Planted in the house, they will flourish. You will echo the, the words of Psalm 84. What a beautiful home I found because I'm in relationship with people, going through all the awkwardness and all the offense and all the stuff that comes. I'm not talking about a Disney movie where we just sort of wander off into the sunset and everything's fine. I'm talking about arguing and standing on each other's toes and you had my parking space. And I'm talking about all of that and all the wonderful stuff that comes with it. And also saying, you know what? I've been coming long enough now to recognize that I think I should play a part here. I think I should 
pick up my, the baton, if you like, and, and do something and take responsibility. If you do those two things, coupled with this last one, oh, we're getting to a place called home now. The third ingredient is revelation. Revelation. Now, I grew up in church, going to church. Didn't become a Christian until I was 16, but I was in church from, from birth. I, was, I went to Sunday school, I went to youth ministry and all of that. And I used to think that uh, revelation was like a lottery. So if God liked you, then you heard his voice. But if you didn't hear his voice, it's because God didn't like you. Do you remember the, when the lottery first came out? 30 years ago, whatever it was, and they had a big TV campaign with a big finger coming out of the sky going, it's you, it's you. And that's what I thought revelation was, that God just chose some people. And when I heard preachers and pastors say, I was driving down the road the other day and God said to me, turn left at these lights. And I said, that's not the way I'm going, Lord. And then Lord said, turn left, trust me, there's a queue. I'm like listening to the preacher going, that never happens to me. How is God finding you a parking space? And I'm like, hello, McFly, is there anybody? Like, like maybe I'm just not holy enough or not good enough or whatever. But then I read, uh, I think it's Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus says that a kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. All right, so revelation is not, you know, if you, you know, happen to be in the right place at the right time, it's actually a treasure hunt. Not a lottery, a treasure hunt. As in, I'm going to go and find revelation. If you can commit to finding the revelation of who God is, that will lead to a greater revelation of who you are, which means you'll be better at relationships and you'll be able to take responsibility in a greater way. The problem we have, or let me just say this, like what is worship without revelation? What is it? Karaoke with Paul Garner? Which sounds like a good night, I'll be fair. But we've got to understand that praise and worship is more than just karaoke. Is it just like empty sort of liturgy? Well, that's what it could be without revelation. But when you get an understanding, when God shows you something about what we're doing here, all of a sudden, a song can just mean so much. It's like a divine exchange between you and God as you give him praise and he gives you peace. What's tithing without revelation? Well, bad maths. 90% can go further than 100. Are you joking? Without revelation, tithing doesn't work. But when you understand everything I have comes from God, and so therefore I'm going to return just this first fruit, 10% of what you've given me, now I can with confidence say, I don't even need 100%. What's faith without revelation? Positive thinking. Being deluded into thinking that things will change if you just hope they will. No, faith is where you understand that it is the currency of heaven and God responds to it. The problem we have is that we're either in no circle or we're in just one circle or maybe we're really trying and we're in two circles but we actually belong in all three. Let me just quickly whiz through this as we come into land because in a moment I'm going to get you to pick up this postcard with all three circles on and I'm going to get you to just have a think about where you are on this postcard. We'll do that in a minute. Let's just say you've got 
one circle and it's the revelation circle. So you've got a revelation of God, you love God, you're growing in your faith in God, but you've got no relationships and you're not taking any responsibility. The problem with that is that there can be slightly odd Christians that live in that circle alone. Because the thing about relationships is it gives you a level of accountability. And you can have a revelation of who God is, but then not apply it to your own life. And then you become a little bit of a spiritual junkie and a conference junkie and a preacher junkie and a podcast junkie. And all of a sudden you're just getting all this, you know, revelation, but no one's actually saying, yeah, it's not really affecting your, your language, mate. It's not really affecting your marriage. It's not really, you're not really working it out in your life. So don't be, a, don't be a Christian who's just in the circle of revelation. The problem with just being in the relationship circle is that you can become a social Christian trying to climb the social ladder in church and your concern is not about what God is saying, it's about who else is going. And I suppose that's kind of all right at a certain level of maturity. But when you take responsibility, sorry, when you, what am I talking about? Which circle are we on, Joel? We did relationships, if you're just in that. If you're just in responsibility, here we go. So if you're just in relationships, you can be a social Christian. If you're just in responsibility, you can be a task Christian. Okay, you guys know this content, help me out. Say it with me. You can be a task Christian, working hard, but not really connecting with God or other people. And that gets tired really quick. Which one didn't we do? Revelation. I think the point I'm trying to make is quite clear. There's a problem if you're just in one circle. If you don't have relationships, then you've got no accountability. And you could get to the stage where you think, well, I could just worship God at home. It's just about me and God, right? You know, I could just go for a walk, go to Lake District. But there's something about relationships that just pull you in. If, you, if you've got responsibility, but not the other two, so you take a responsibility, that's where you can get offended. Well, I came to church to serve, no one spoke to me. This is a church full of cliques. Let me tell you what a definition of a clique is. It is a group that you are not in. Now that's significant, it's, I'm, not, I'm not dismissing it, because if you're not in, then that doesn't feel very nice. But what I'm saying is, if you are in, you don't think it's a clique. So if you're not in, you think the people who are in, know they're in. And you're like, how, how could you? I know I'm being dramatic, but I'm just exaggerating so you don't feel like I'm talking to you specifically. The people who are in don't realise that it feels a bit exclusive for those that aren't in. And if you told them, they'd probably be horrified. I think it would be rare to find anyone in church who's like, right, come on, just us. Get lost as you're not in, mate. No chance. Definitely not consciously. There could be reasons, maybe fear, maybe you've been you know, hurt in the past. There may be reasons why you can be a little bit, but that lesson is actually important for both people who feel in and people who feel out. 
If you feel out of the group, then know this, they don't realise it's a group. And they're not doing it to hurt you. And maybe with the Holy Spirit's help, you could walk across the room and just break into the group. Well, that'll be awkward. Yeah, but starts with awkward, ends with awesome. If, if you're in church and you've got loads of friends, then you may not realise that your group feels like an exclusive group. You didn't do it on purpose. You didn't set out to do it. You've not got a list of people who, you know, and you're, you're kind of keeping them away. It's laminated and you've all got it in your purse. No, no, I'm not saying that that happens, but you have to be aware that your group, a clique, it's never gonna feel like a clique to you because you're in it. So let's open the groups, emotionally, socially, physically, as in after the service, when you stand in the circle with your mates, I'm glad that you've got mates, great. Just open the circle a little bit. And if you see someone who's not in a circle, or not in a group, or doesn't seem to be knowing anyone, get them in. Some of the greatest friendships you could ever have, you don't have yet. Because they're waiting for someone to walk across the room. What we're looking for when it comes to ownership is this sweet spot in the middle of all three circles where you're cultivating, developing relationships, you're committed to that, you're taking responsibility, whatever that looks like in your life, whatever level that you can do at this phase of your life, you've got young kids, you've got a busy job, that's all cool. And you are committed to a revelation of who God is and therefore who you are which will make the other two a lot easier. Where they overlap, we've just put home in the middle. Just take that postcard out for a second. It should just be under your seat. It's the same sort of design as the brochure. And uh, Mary, singers, just come up. I want you to stay in your seat and just while the team just lead us, they're just gonna sing Magnificent Obsession. I don't want you to sing yet. I don't want you to join in just yet. I want you to just have a look at this and ask the question, where am I? Am I in one circle? Two? Maybe you're in all three and if you are, praise God, we need loads more of you. Maybe you're looking at it going, I'm not even on the postcard, mate. Well, that's all right too. You're totally welcome. We're here as a church for people who are not on the postcard. The three million people not on the postcard in this city. Now, I'm not talking about people who are in other people's postcards, other churches. That's, that's good for them, but they'll have to find home there. And it won't be the church's responsibility, it'll be theirs. So wherever you are, well, have a think. Thank you for listening to this audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m.